We are living in a rapidly changing world, one in which technology is creeping into every area of our lives. When it comes to business, that's mostly a good thing, especially when we're talking about voice technology. For instance, imagine you're a sales rep making a call to a potential client. You're probably worried about how to pitch, what to say, and making sure the notes you're taking about the call are accurate and helpful after the fact. Now imagine you didn't have to do any of that. Instead, you could have a call powered by AI that's able to prep you before the call, give you real-time coaching during the call, and provide a transcript and insights that are automatically logged into your system after the call. That's the reality Craig Walker is creating at Dialpad. Craig is the founder and CEO of Dialpad, and he joins IT visionaries to dive deep into how they are weaponizing voice to create a revolution in the business world. Enjoy this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Did you know that Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we are in downtown San Francisco at Dialpad headquarters. Craig, what's going on? Hey, doing well. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. We're super excited to talk to you. We're going to talk all about voice. We're going to talk about some of the cool stuff that you've done at some big companies like Google and Yahoo. And we're going to get deep into what you're currently doing at Dialpad. Um, we're going to kill the desk phone. Um, excellent. Because we all hate desk phones. Uh, we have some good stories about some of the CIOs that come on the show that once they release the report of how much budget CIOs had, that their uh, that their desk phones were blowing up right and left um, and, uh, and all that. But first, how did you get into technology? You know, I was uh, born and raised in Cupertino, California. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, went to, went to Cal and was working as a lawyer down in Palo Alto representing startups and public companies like at um, a pretty big firm down there called Brebeck, Flager and Harrison. Um, and so really, and this was mid 90s, the Internet was just kind of coming onto the scene um, and <clears throat> went from being a lawyer working on deals to working with one of my clients who was starting a venture fund. And so this was like 98 uh, and we were making investments in telecom, telecom opportunities coming out of the 1996 telecom act that deregulated a lot of telecom stuff. Um, so one of our investments was a company called Dialpad and Dialpad was doing voice over IP. And at the time it was really cool that you could, and if you think back at the late nineties, if, anyone remembers, but international long distance phone calls cost an arm and a leg. It was like a dollar a minute and the quality was terrible. So the idea of being able to run that call over the internet and take all the cost out of it or virtually all the cost out of it, except for that last mile really was intriguing. So we invested in a company called Dialpad. It grew pretty big. Um, and then 2001 came along, all these companies that were that were going to make their money on ad models and giving away stuff for free, Dialpad was one of them, um, were in big trouble. And there was no another round to come save those companies. So the venture fund I was working with asked me to step in as interim CEO, Basically, for it was going to be a three-month gig from October 2001, basically, to the end of the year. And 
four and a half years later, um, I'd been running a voiceover IP company. We went through a lot of challenges of laying a lot of people off and getting the costs under control. But the opportunity to really take advantage of voiceover IP and the, the, this emerging technology was huge and real. And so ended up, you know, cleaning up the company, raising a little money. Um, and then we got acquired by Yahoo in 2005. So that's how I got into it. I really didn't know much about voice over IP before I was the CEO of a voice over IP company. <laughs> um, I had done some of the diligence on the deal, but it was, it was more of a, um, you know, it wasn't like we were creating the tech. It already existed. It was more of kind of like a business cleanup. And by the end, I, I knew quite a bit about it. It was funny. We had uh, Maureen Allison, the CISO at Johnson & Johnson on the show. She was talking about when she went, she was at, I think, Avaya uh, launching Voice over IP. And it was the same sort of thing where she was like, I'd never done this before. Yeah. I had no idea. But she was like, nobody knew. Yeah. So it was like, it was all so brand new. Yeah. It was the same sort of thing. Well, and it was funny, too, because I, I had a COO at the time. And, um, he'd tell me things and it was, you know, kind of new to me. So I'm like, okay, just taking it all in. Then I'd ask him the same question like a week later and he'd give me a different answer. I'm like, Hey, I don't know which ones, right? I just know those aren't the exact same things that you said. So I started to get pretty smart on it quickly. Well, and what's funny, you know, so much of that time frame was about crystal clear call quality. Like mm -hmm. every sales yeah. rep wanted to pick up the phone and hear the other person perfectly on the other line, which like things don't change, right? That's what we still want. Um, so kind of flash forward to, to dial pad now, this idea of, you know, it's no longer pick up the phone. Yeah. You don't need a desk phone. You don't need any of that. In fact, it's literally a wasted space on your desk now. Um, talk about like, what is the status of, of this opportunity and kind of world where the world is going? Yeah. And just to be clear, although the name's still Dialpad, I bought it back from Yahoo. And so this is an entirely new company that we started in 2011. Um, yeah. But what's the state of it now? Like to think back then that enterprises and large multinational Fortune 500 companies would ever trust the internet to, yeah. to be able to provide them high quality and high fidelity calls was, it was unbelievable, right? Because it was pretty terrible back in the early days. But now, you know, just if you believe that networks continue to get better, which they do, if you, technology continues to get better. So now it really is, um, voice is just another application, Right. And it's and it's anywhere you have connectivity. It's a software client running on your mobile app. It's a software client running on your desktop app. You legitimately, frankly, probably want to get away from a desk phone. And for a CIO out there, it's a pretty amazing time when your employees go out and spend a thousand dollars of their own money to get the latest and greatest, most amazing technology and bring it to work and just want to use the thing they've yeah. already purchased. And now Dialpad allows that to be their device versus that same employee coming into work and then you point them at some Cisco desk phone from the like the mid 90s and they're like what what on earth is that thing? So it really is a really exciting interesting time because once you get everything into the data layer once you get everything in voice over IP like 
you can do a whole lot of interesting things you couldn't do before. Like we, we have artificial intelligence on our calls yep. and in real time, as you're on a phone call, you can see a transcript of the conversation and I can get real time coaching on the call. Like it might tell me to quit interrupting you or to slow down. Or if you ask me a question, I don't know the answer. It may provide me the answer to tell you. So it's changed quite a bit and it's really, you know, it's frankly really exciting. I think that, the thing that I, when I first started using, and I admittedly, I started using Uber Conference like mm-hmm. years and years and years ago. And we'll talk about the whole music because uh, <laughs> it's definitely, definitely something I want to talk about. But this idea that you have your own phone number, you have your, you know, it can be, here's the URL or here's the phone number, you know, all of that, that kind of like table stakes stuff now mm-hmm. that's still not table stakes for so many companies yeah. out there. Um that you get into the AI piece, you get into the additional insights, you get into the sales insights. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, how many times have people on sales calls talked about a competitor? Yeah. How many times have people talked about, oh, like, did you know that this word has come up in 80% of calls? Those type of insights are you know, revolutionary for sales leaders yeah. that can now see the organization and hear the organization in a way they never have before. Was that something that like you, you saw years ago that you knew that you needed to build to that point? You know, it happened about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. Now we started meeting with a lot of the AI companies out there and they pretty much virtually every AI company wanted to come integrate with Uber Conference and with Dialpad. And one of the challenges for the AI companies is they you could have as many PhDs as you want, but if you don't have access to a lot of data, meaning a lot of phone yep. calls or conversations, your engine just kind of sits there and doesn't get smarter and, and doesn't get exercised and really doesn't add a lot of value. So all these AI companies would come talk to us and the basic pitch was, hey, let us integrate with your platform. And at the end of a call, Basically, we'll process the recording of the call or we will record the call and process it and do all this after the fact analysis and be able to spit out reports of how many words, you know, like what comes up the most and things like that, which was kind of interesting, but not really. I mean, like there were a dozen companies that did that same thing. What was really interesting that we saw when Talk IQ came in, that's the company we ended up buying, is they could do it in real time, which was the most of it. So... So you sit there and you hear pitch after pitch and they all kind of sound the same. Talk IQ came in a second time. They're like, let us just give you a demo. And they gave us a demo and it was, and I had already kind of like written them off after the first meeting because it just kind of sounded like more, more of the same conversation. And then they gave me a demo. And like from that day forward, I'm like, it was almost one of those things like, and you can only get away with this at a startup, but it, you know, legitimately the strategy of the company changed that day. Yeah. And we're like, okay, these guys are great. They're also a very modern company built on the Google cloud platform, just as we were. Um, they came from Google. We knew their CEO from before when we worked at Google, um, real cultural fit and our ability to integrate with them was very simple because they were very modern architecture. And it was one of those things of, okay, now that's actually super differentiated. Being able to not only do the post-call analysis and give reports and stuff to sales and support leaders, but to be able to coach the person on the call in real time to make the actual call better and to provide more timely information and better coaching. Um, that's something that was that was like the light bulb moment. So about, so I'd call it about two years ago, it really became something that we focused on. 
Well, and so many CIOs and technology leaders that come on this show talk about partnering with the business. It is like the number one piece of advice that we hear from them is that, you know, the best CIOs are the best partners of the business. The people who, you know, listen to the board, mm -hmm. listen to their CEO, nest their, you know, priorities within that and figure out a way how to talk to their, their business partners and like figure out what they need. This is such a clear need for, you know, sales leaders, that it's a position where you can go to them and create value that they couldn't ever have, give them a level of visibility. And that's really like when IT is at its best. Do you kind of feel like those conversations are starting to happen when you're talking with, you know, technology leaders that they're being able to provide insights that the business didn't have before? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, it's funny because you talk to CIOs and a lot of times they'll be going through you know, a digital transformation. They want to move off their on-premise mm -hmm. phone system. They want to move to the cloud. But in their minds, a lot of times they're just thinking, I want it to be the same, but just cloud provided. I don't want to run the box in the back. And so we can win in those situations. It's more modern. It, it works more with other cloud services. It's better for the mobile worker. But what really is the, the eye-opener is when you show them, this isn't just a better, cheaper, more mobile PSTN or mobile dial tone. This is actually in the the guy who did the did the purchase of Dialpad at Domo. To quote him, he was like, "Hey, once I saw that demo, that really weaponized voice." He's like, "All of a sudden, this was no longer just a must-have. I got to provide dial tone to the sales department. It was." I can now make the sales department more productive or the support department more productive for this product that I'm already, you know, paying for. So it really is a eye-opening moment when a CIO realizes this isn't just, you know, a more modern version of an Avaya, you know, phone system. It really is a different product. And I think so much of AI going forward is going to be, you know, we talk about augmented intelligence, but it's going to be, hey, in minute three of the conversation, they said this word mm -hmm. and immediately it feeds you, hey, if they say this word, here's the playbook or here's mm -hmm. the talking point or here's the objection handling or whatever it is. Like that's stuff that no matter how well you train your sales organization, they're never going to, you're, you're never going to have 100% yeah. adoption of that stuff. It's just not going to happen. But yeah. AI allows you to do it in real time. Yeah. And being able to, being able to have basically a sales playbook even, right? Yeah. So, hey, for our, for, you know, your BDR, your sales development reps, we want you to, to qualify the lead this way. Do they have budget? Do they have a need? Does this person have authority? What's the timing? You know, can we set up the next step? And you train and you train and you train your guys to go through that. And still, they're going to miss some steps or they're not going to do it. But if you have basically that playbook in front of you and as you click off a step, it's like, OK, great, you've done this. And when you haven't, it will report on it. And like me as a sales leader can say, OK, I have 30 BDRs. And I can pull a report and say how many of them actually went through and what percentage of their calls they did the complete playbook. Hey, now I know what to coach on. Yep. Without that, it's just like perpetually, hey, how's it going? Or trying to you know, listen in on 10% of your calls and hopefully catch one where you have a coaching moment. Now, AI is listening to every single call. And, and we always look at AI not as an ability to replace people, but make the people who are on the phone 
that much smarter. Well, I know humans are horrible at pattern matching, yeah. right? Yeah. Machines are really good at pattern matching. Like humans are really good on the fly, detecting things, having empathy, doing things that humans are good at, you know, sensing if someone's having a bad day. Machines are horrible at that, right? So if you can blend those two things together, it's, it is, it does weaponize voice. I love, I love that, that phrase. Um, the other piece is that it enables marketing to help with sales enablement. Um, it helps marketing get conversations in real time that they can then put into marketing copy. Yeah. Um, it helps take those conversations that are happening and quickly be able to take action. And I think that that's, you know, being able to get refinement from sales, like having your marketing team do ride alongs with sales, like great to have that happen. But that doesn't give you like, those are all anecdotal things, one-off yeah. things that you don't necessarily, you can't pattern match. Now with the ability to do that, like having that, that transcripts and that amount of data, like you said, and leveraging AI voice is now something that can help all of revenue generation. Right. Yeah. And that's something you just, no one has had before. Yeah. It's a, the, the CEO of talk IQ used to talk about it as the last offline data set, right? Yeah. The most is so, and you think about, all the communication channels you have for your business, you know, you have Slack, you have email, you have all these things that are captured in data that you can actually analyze. But the most important things, like if you're, if you're making a big sale, you're talking to the person in person. You're not doing it via email. Yeah. Or if you're an upset customer, you're picking up the phone and you're calling the customer support line. Those are the most important conversations. And up until this time, they've just kind of been lost or anecdotal or dependent on the rep after the fact typing it in in the notes. Yeah. Now you don't have any of that lost information. It's legitimately that last offline data set, which is the most valuable, is being captured. Yeah, I mean, Salesforce was the first step, maybe not the first, but the best step at saying, okay, we need to reduce salespeople's time so that we can record all of this, we can figure it out. And they continue, and obviously they're a sponsor of this podcast, so we love them. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but okay, everything happens in Salesforce. The next step of that is like, well, all of those things that sales reps hate to do that start to get, you know, automated. It's a great thing for every CEO mm -hmm. out there. It's a great thing for, you know, IT to partner with business. How do you think voice allows people to, you know, automate the stuff that they don't want to do? Yeah, I think voice is really powerful in that, particularly if you have a tool like voice intelligence or AI, um, you can really focus on the conversation, right? Like I'm going to get a transcript at the end of it. I'm going to get a summary at the end of it. That's going to tease out the action items and the next steps. I can actually just focus on the conversation. Let's say I'm taking that call while I'm driving home on 580, hang up the phone. It's all that is just automatically logged into Salesforce. I don't need to go do anything after the fact to get it in there. So that's, to me, that's one of the more powerful pieces is you get, you no longer get a really spotty Salesforce record because the problem is the reps without something automated will only really update the record when something positive has happened. Yeah. And you end up with this funnel that looks like a sieve right? or it just looks like a cylinder, right? Like yeah. everything that's in the channel ends up closing. It's amazing. They're all 70% they're all opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Right? And no one like goes in to say, okay, this conversation didn't, wasn't very good. Um, I think voice has a lot more potential in that as well. Like I would love, and we, did, we haven't launched this yet, but I'd love to launch a feature that at the end of a call, let's say 
you know, I'm on a call or I'm even on a conference call, everyone else hangs up. I can just stay and dictate a summary of that call. Totally. And let AI know that, hey, this is a pretty important part of the call because the guy is actually summarizing. So it doesn't have to sort through three hours of a conference call to like figure out what's important and then put that directly into the, th into the record, primarily Salesforce. Um, so there's just, a, I mean, voice is this fantastic medium to do all those things and to make it easier on sales reps and support reps as well. Yeah. It's a great point about support, you know, and not, not to, continued on the rabbit hole here, but, you know, you talk about how much is invested in the pre-sales process versus post-sales or, you know, the customer success process. And it's, it's not a lot, you know, yeah. I mean, talk about, you know, marketing before the sale versus like marketing, uh, customer stories, like all of this stuff. It's like a lot of the best CIOs and CMOs and revenue generators are all trying to figure out like, how do we focus on the customer experience? How mm -hmm. do we drive a better customer experience? If you're not tracking what your customer success people are doing yeah. and being able to pattern match across that, like your churn is going to be much higher. You know, again, it, it goes back to the business case. And from now until, unless you're a company that people can buy directly from the site and you don't have any salespeople at all, these conversations are critical and they like, they all fall through the cracks. Yeah. The offline data set. That's why you got to move them on, online and capture them. So... I want to go back to um, Yahoo Voice days, like the starting of this. What was, when you were working on on Yahoo Voice, what was kind of the problem set that you saw that was like really interesting and from a business standpoint? Yeah, so this was like early 2000s. And yeah, the real, like what we were trying to do, Voice over IP back then, really was all about how do I drive cost out of the voice equation. And Skype actually came out and, and really drove all yeah. the cost out of it, right? And they were killing it. And Skype also included instant messaging in their, you know, in their client. And so the impetus for Yahoo to come by Dialpad was they had Yahoo Messenger, which was the number one IM client in the world. And they were starting to lose market share in Europe as Skype was mm -hmm. becoming more and more popular. So, hey, lo and behold, let's add voice to have parity with with Skype. Um, but Yahoo was an interesting company at the time. Like they were that really deep partnership with SBC. I don't know if you remember, they used to have this SBC Yahoo DSL mm -hmm. like, deal together. And SBC, which is now AT&T, wasn't a huge fan of us driving all the cost out of voice, right? <laughs> like at the time, that was kind of like their business. So it was really, it was really a weird dynamic at Yahoo because you had this broadband group or the DSL guys who had this pretty lucrative contract with SBC who were pretty pissed at the communication side that was trying to do free voice in Yahoo Messenger. So it was one of those things where like it almost got in the way of itself. And, you know, just to be honest, like I, I left Yahoo after three months to go start Grand Central. So yeah, really didn't stay there all that long to, well, no. to watch it fight out. And the reason why I asked, so we had, we had Marissa Mayer on the, oh, yeah. on the show and, uh, What's interesting was like when she was talking about her experiences when she became CEO, which is like so many things like that, yeah. like those exact things of like, you know, bets that were made a decade ago yeah. that like you have to really untangle 15 different relationships yeah. in order to figure out like, hey, why don't we have like a mobile app that yeah. like works <laughs> or why have we not done anything for mobile? But I, I just think, you know, 
it's a really interesting time where you have these enormous, you had Yahoo as this enormous company. They clearly made the right bet and yet didn't capture the value yeah. of the bet that it made. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then it let, let you out the door. You yeah. Know? No, it's, um, it's a challenge in a big company, right? Cause like there's, there's other revenue streams that at the time look more attractive and are bigger. And so like, it's very short sighted, but it's, it's really natural to say, Hey, do we want to threaten this thing? That's, that's, you know, bird in the hand potentially for this thing that might be bigger and, you know, they prevailed in keeping the bird in the hand, which, but, you know, like at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it did allow us to go start Grand Central and it turned into Google voice. And that was kind of a much more fun experience. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about, uh, who's the team and when, what were you thinking? Yeah. So, so my number two guy, um, at Dialpad one that got acquired by Yahoo, uh, this guy, Vincent Paquet, he and I left Yahoo together, started this company, Grand Central and, Instead of voice over IP being all about cheaper, long distance phone calls, we realized the cost or the price was going to go to zero pretty quickly as Skype was just eating it up. But what we really wanted to do was use voice over IP to empower users to have all the features. And if you remember at the time, like this was 2006, you'd have a cell phone, you had a work phone, you had a home phone, mm -hmm. you had three different voicemail Your systems. Yeah. People would, for someone wanting to call me, they would like try to pick where I was. And like, I'd get off a flight to New York. And the first thing I'd do was call in and check three different voicemails. It was crazy. Yep. Right. So, so what we want to do is say, look, let's let the carriers be good at what the carriers are, which is providing connectivity and let's abstract all the telephony features to the cloud, put really great design around it and let you basically be your own private phone company. So a grand central number, which became a Google voice number was basically my number for life. If you want to call Craig, dial that number. It'll ring. If I have a home phone, it'll ring me on my home phone. If I have a work phone, I can set it to ring me on my work phone. If I have, you know, a mobile phone can ring me on my mobile phone. You don't need to worry about where I am or trying to find me just how, and if, if you recall, not everyone had a phone in their pocket 24 seven, it yep. was pretty expensive all the time. So it wasn't nearly as ubiquitous now. Um, so it really was uh, a way for you to, as an individual, basically be free of the phone company controlling all the features. And that was, that was great for a lot of small businesses, a lot of independent, you know, professionals, gardeners, landscapers, you know, those types of people who didn't want to have to give out their, you know, their home number or their work or their um, cell number to do their job. And so we got acquired by Google uh, 2007 and that became Google voice. And then we left in 2010 to really kind of do that same type of service, but do it for a modern business and really look at, hey, if we just added the corporate layer above, effectively above Google Voice and treated a, you know, individual as an employee, it's the same concept. Hey, instead of someone may call you at your work number, but they may call the main number and get to you through like some sort of phone tree or talking to a receptionist, but the concepts are all still the same. How do you want to be communicated with? How do you want to you know, be able to be accessible from anywhere in the world at any time on any device? Yeah, I mean, at our company, before we um, got our dial pad number, uh, we put our cell phones. Yeah. And that is like the ultimate death knell <laughs> yeah. of both both Chad, our CEO, and myself uh, is like 
goodness gracious, our cell phone numbers are just everywhere now. Yeah, it's it's terrible. And you shouldn't have to give up your personal, you know, your personal number, your that separation between work and personal life just to be able to have mobility or just to be able to send a text, right? Like it's 2019. You should be able to use modern technologies to do that. Yeah. And it's like so common sense, but it's also like now it is like how many times to, you know, you go to a conference or you, yeah. you know, just want to get like a white paper or whatever it is and you have to enter a phone, yeah. phone number or you go visit somewhere and it's like, you know, if you enter your number, it's like that it will get aggregated. It will get found. Sent. Yeah. Yeah. Spread everywhere. No, for sure. The IRS comes at me every day. It's <laughs> funny. It's never from the IRS's phone number. Yeah, that's weird. That's, I don't know why that is. Um, what was the reason why you think Google acquired you? I'm sure they looked at a bunch of different companies that were in the space or maybe not. Yeah, they did. So there was a guy who was a product manager on the Google Talk team. And Google Talk was like an instant messaging product, but was always far behind both Yahoo and Microsoft and even ICQ and, and a lot of others. It just didn't get a lot of traction. His name was Wesley Chan. And he was trying to figure out, hey, I want to make this chat client be able to do more and, and be more attractive. And so he'd been looking for something similar to what Grand Central was doing for a while. And no one really was doing it the way we were doing it and had the complete feature set. And basically, like we let you do virtually anything you wanted to. Like if you called me, I could change the ring back tone. So instead of you hearing ringing, I could you know, play a song to you. Yeah. Like everything was customizable. Um, so he fell in love with it and he was one of, he was an early Googler. I think it was like in the first 500 employees. Mm -hmm. So he had great relationships with Eric, Larry and Sergey and, and was able to drive through the acquisition. And then he was also just a great champion inside of Google. Once we got acquired to make sure that we were able to actually launch the product and, and be productive. Cause a lot of times you get acquired by a big company and, you know, nothing ever comes out of it because it, Big companies have a way of slowing things down and, and pulling them apart and making things more complicated than they need to be. And so he really cleared the air for us there. Um, funny, he was also went to Google Ventures and invested, was the first money into Dialpad. And then he went to Felicis and also mm -hmm. invested in us from Felicis. That's so, funny. so Wesley's been kind of the patron saint of all things, kind of Google Voice and Dialpad. Um but that was that was the attraction of, hey, how do we make this better? Every single person in the world effectively has a phone number, right? Like it is the ultimate social network. It's the lowest common denominator of how you can get in touch with virtually anyone on the planet. And being able to have a really cool solution in that space was something that they were really attracted to. Yeah, I mean, we we haven't talked about it a ton on the show yet, but the amount of text messages that happen and like everyone fighting for, it's funny that, I mean, the fight for messenger just still happens yeah. all day, every day, yeah. you know, with Facebook, like continually trying to push me out when they launch messenger as its own app. Yeah. Everyone was like, why would I have an app? Yeah. Then when I already have Facebook to message people and then you obvi obviously WhatsApp that like got enormous and mm -hmm. all these other disparate kind of messaging platforms. And then still SMS is yeah. still, I mean, it's got to be way bigger than everything else combined, For sure. be, I guess. Um, but there's still no real, especially like 
insights from that sort of stuff. There's no like, you know, from a business standpoint, you're texting with a customer, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And so that's one of the things that we, we really wanted to solve at Dialpad is how, how do I make my business phone number textable, even though it's not a mobile number? Yep. And we started working on that at Google, like 2008, took about till 2014 until we got all the carriers to agree to it. And now we're able to do it. And if you think about it, it's coming more and more like, you know, where it gets used a lot is, you know, you'll rent a car and the next thing you know, you get a text. It's yep. like, how was the service? One to five feedback. No one wants to call to reserve a table. No one wants to call to like check if the pharmacy's open, like get directions to a business. All these things can happen via text if you have a modern system where your business number is textable. Yeah. You know, we, we've talked to the folks at Twilio before and you see, I mean, all of the ways that text is enabled. I mean, it's still yeah. the primary thing that people use their phones for. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and especially with the younger generation is like, you know, leaving a voicemail is like, <laughs> you're going to get ridiculed. Um, I left a voicemail to someone the other day and they left one back. That was like a minute and a half. And I'm like, there's no way I'm oh listening to this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of the one thing we do as well is if you do leave a voicemail, we turn it into a text. So you'll never have to listen to it because like, my sister will leave me a three minute voicemail every single time. And there's no way I'm listening to that, yeah. but I can scan it in 10 seconds if it's in a text. Uh, and, and then now you have like the link outs and different sort of stuff and you're yeah. like, Oh great. There was a link in here. Um, it seemed like that was a really like seamless transition from getting acquired to actually launching Google voice was, were there some like hiccups there? Were there some like big things that you were pushing up against or anything? Yeah. I mean, we got acquired and it took about 18 months until we launched Google voice. And during that time, they wouldn't let us sign up more Grand Central users. And like, so, so looking back on it, it seems seamless during the time it wasn't seamless at all. And I like about a month before we relaunched as Google voice, TechCrunch wrote an article that basically said, hey, will the last person at Grand Central turn the lights off on your way out? And we no was, way. Yeah, no, it's, it's out there. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, man, like we've got to get this out the door. But, you know, when you get acquired <laughs> and you're a, you know, you're a 25 person company, um, you're not at Google scale. Yeah. Right. So basically that 18 months was rebuilding everything with the ability to handle tens to hundred million users. Yeah. Right. And, and you just didn't need that when you were a six month old startup. And so that was a real big challenge and a real interesting engineering challenge. But what it did was, it was basically like Navy SEAL school for us for building the platform that we're on now. Cause now we've already done that. Then we left Google in 2010, they made Google Cloud Platform available right around that time. Yep. They made WebRTC available right around that time. So the things that we had worked on internally at Google that were proprietary became public right as we left and needed them. So we kind of have this, this analogy where you know, if you ever saw the movie Frozen, you know, there's mm -hmm. this frozen bridge where every time she takes a step into the abyss, like the bridge like magically appears. And it's kind of been like that with, with Dialpad. It's like, hey, you know what would be great? If they had screen sharing in Chrome, what? Yeah. Like then it appears. And it and so it gave us ability to launch a startup that has you know, like super scalable 
unique split cloud architecture where we use the Google cloud for everything other than the media. And then we use our own soft switches all around the world to make sure that the audio sounds amazing. And no one had done that before. And we had actually perfected that doing that internally for Google voice. So it really gave, you know, gave us a really great leg up on a platform perspective, having had that training, having just done it internally at Google. With all of the investments in voice lately, with Alexa, with Google Home, with, you know, AirPods, like it feels like the whole like ecosystem launched around the same time with a lot of these consumer products. Um, Talking to stuff is going to be important. They're all kind of like V1, V2 sort of things. But clearly, like, it is going to be a huge priority. There's also, like, privacy concerns. We can get into that later. But it feels like for the everyday user to be able to use these sort of devices, it's kind of a little gimmicky at times. But for the business user, it's, like, massively important. Um, Was that kind of part of the reason that you wanted to focus on, like, B2B and on businesses? Yeah, I think the real attraction to me for for B2B was just the massive size of the market. You know, we're talking about $100 billion market for enterprise voice worldwide. And there's something like 700 million business phone lines in the world. Wow. And if you think about those, virtually all of them are some legacy line tied to a desk phone. So the ability to revolutionize that was so attractive, right? And and you still run it. It's still very early innings in doing that. Like only something like single digit percentage of those business lines have converted to the cloud, and they're all going to. It's it's inevitable. The benefits yep. are just far too great. And I think when you see things like you know, Zoom's great performance in the public market, Ring Central's great performance in the public market. It's a recognition that those markets are massive, and they're starting. Even you know, Morgan Stanley's trading desk. Within five years, we'll probably be in the cloud. Yeah. Probably the last thing you'd ever expect to move to the cloud. It just has to, right? Like the benefits are too great. So once you have legacy companies realizing that, hey, for me to be competitive, I have to be able to enable my workers to work in a modern environment. I have to be able to attract a millennial or like a guy graduating college who's done nothing but uses mobile phone his whole life. I have to be able to like, let people be as productive from anywhere at any time on any device because my competitors are letting their their workers do that. I mean, like all of like WeWork's entire business is yep. built around the changing dynamics of how an office or a traditional workplace is. And so those only work with flexibility and with cloud and with modern applications. And so, you know, we're big believers that we're we're really at the start of this. So that to me was the most attractive part of going B2B. The least attractive part of going B2B is a lot of the people making decisions on these things come from a time where they would never trust the cloud for any of this stuff. So there's a little bit of like, we're in this, I'd say, you know, the S curve part where those more legacy IT leaders are realizing that they can't just be legacy for the sake of security, et cetera, that the benefits of, of productivity gains for their workers far outweigh any of their concerns of like a call may drop. Yeah. And I think 
like a lot of those people made investments three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, they bought an entire, if you bought 200,000 phones, yeah, it's going to be a pretty tough conversation to go back to your board and be like, Hey, remember when I bought those phones? That wasn't the best call. That one's on me. I'm going to need some money to switch over to something, right? Like it's just, it's a, it's a pretty basic reality, but you know, the alternative to that is like you said, like, you know, you have a third of your workforce that has iPhone or Android devices that are, you know, between 500 and $1,000 that work exponentially better and are trackable and linked to Salesforce and do all, all the other things. Like, it, it's just a better, <laughs> it's, a, it's a more seamless operation. The first, uh, when I got out of the M- Army in 2014... I got sent a desk phone for my company and I never unpacked it, yeah. just sat there. And then I sent it back in the same box when I left the company. <laughs> and then they probably spent three to $500 for that desk phone. No, they, and my, <laughs> my VP of sales kept hitting me up and being like, uh, like, hey, you got to use the desk, the desk phone for calls. And I was like, I'm never doing that. There's so no just way. fire me. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's, there's I don't no know way what to tell you. That's going to happen. No, I know. It's, it, but even for the guy who had made that investment five years ago, the amount of overhead it takes to just maintain and manage those many physical assets and and they'll break or they'll need support or they'll need an upgrade or you have to, you know, put in a biannual patch and take down your worldwide phone system to do it. Those types of things feel like problems from a prior generation and there's no way they should exist. And like the conversation I have with CIOs is, you know, like your job should primarily be focusing on providing an excellent, secure, reliable network to your employees. And once you do that, everything can run on that. You know, your CRM runs on that. Your file storage runs on that. Your email, your calendar, your docs, everything. And your phone system runs on that. And by the way, you're going to have to do it regardless because everyone's going to demand great connectivity from every square inch of where you support them. So if you've just focused on that rather than managing on-premise you know, mail servers or file exchanges or PBXs, that's not where you want to be spending your time. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the CIOs on the show talk about wanting to be proactive. They don't mm-hmm. want to be reactive, right? So all the things that are the quote, you know, the quote unquote ticket taking activities, they don't want to do that. Like they don't want their team to be focused on, you know, ticket taking. Like you see the, you know, the rise of like the, uh, the, the vending machines, right? Yeah. Of like, hey, swipe your card, you know, your, your badge, get a new keyboard. Like, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Like, uh, why, why would I be doing that? It's like, why would I care about you getting a new keyboard if that's what helps you be productive? Yeah. And I think that a lot of the, a lot of the best CIOs are focusing on employee experience mm-hmm. and customer experience. Like, how do I support the business to make the customer experience better? And how do I help our employees deliver that experience? Right. Exactly right. And if you're reducing friction, then you're in a position that's advantageous, right? And your credibility and social capital for the executive team goes sky high. Exactly right. And it, it's just more of a mindset too. Uh, and I remember when we got to Google, they had they had exactly that. They had these things called tech stops in every building. You could walk in, grab a new plug for your computer, a new keyboard, a new mouse, a new headset. And it's a matter of just trusting your employees, right? Like, you don't need all these convoluted, difficult processes to make sure someone doesn't steal an extra keyboard. Yeah. Like, what's what's the incentive? And once you kind of get over that mindset, then all of a sudden it's really easy to make it more productive for everyone. What do you think 
the next five years of voice look like? What do you think that the, these changes that are kind of in the process of happening um, with all the tech we were talking about, like the hardware piece of this, plus, you know, you have the incredible cloud-based software. Um, how does this all change for... for Hey, my phone's starting. My watch is talking. Um, I think, you know, if I look at over the next five years, what's going to happen is, is on the mobile side, 5G is going to get ubiquitous. And with ubiquitous 5G, you can now do calls over high quality data networks all over the place, right? You no longer need the cellular network itself. You just need that data connection. And once you have that, the data connection is what allows you to have a lot of flexibility. You can have video on your phone from anywhere. You can have, you know, conference calling on your phone from everywhere. You don't, you're no longer pinned to that carrier. You can do a lot more interesting things to it. So that bodes really well for a voice over IP provider. Um, the other thing over the next five years, I really think voice intelligence is going to be a big, big change of how phone calls have been. So phone calls have always literally been, the phone company cares about making the circuit and the connection from person one to person two, super high quality. And then when they both hang up, it ends. And that's it. What it's now going to be is, hey, we're going to give you information about the person you're about to call. So kind of like we think of it as pre-game, during game, and post-game. Yeah. So let's say I'm a sales rep. Before I get on that call, I want to see like the scouting report. Like, why am I calling him? What have been the things we've interacted on before? What have been his hot topics? What happened previously? And what am I going to talk about? Like, what's my pitch? What's, if it's a cold call, I know I'm going to go in with, hey, there's an intro. There's basically rapport building. I'm going to make my pitch. I'm going to ask for the order. I'm going to get to the next step. And you can really like start getting prepared before the call. Then when you're on the call, now you can get coaching in real time toward that. And then when the call ends, you can even get a report card or, you know, like a box score at the end of the call of, hey, here's how you did in these various segments. And I just think it becomes much smarter. And and again, it's no longer just the high quality connection. It's all the insights and intelligence you can add on to that. But those insights and intelligence don't work at all if you don't start with the foundation of a high quality connection to begin with. So a lot of times you know, like you'll get startups or you'll get feature providers who are like trying to just do, you know, the the sexy, interesting insight stuff. But unless you have that high quality foundation, no one's going to adopt it. Like that is the table stakes. So I think that to me is the most exciting thing. That's why I fell in love with Talk IQ when I saw that demo. Um, being able to make sales and support folks and even HR, legal, finance, everyone else, other departments that are on the phone that much better and give that much more insights to your business. That's, you know, weaponizing voice. We, we've had actually a few interviews with the the team at SignalFX and this idea of like real time monitoring is like, again, one of these kind of common sense things where you're like, Hey, you know, if you have a flash sale and you're, you know, and your network is down um, and you have a five minute flash sale and it's down for three of the minutes and you didn't know about it, like, I really think we're going to look back on this and be like real time voice insights is going to be like, how did you, how did you go on a call? You didn't know anything about this person. Yeah. You were just literally reading a script. Are you crazy? You spent 20 minutes after the call, like 
going back through your notes and then sending an email, like it just didn't do that. Like yeah. it didn't give you like, hey, you should probably send this. Like, do you want to hit send? Um, I, I really think that that is just going to be something five years from now. If this is where we're at right this second, yeah. where we're going to be in five years yeah. is going to be crazy. And yeah. I think that that's, that's the part that's just so exciting um, that your employees, especially on the sales and customer success side, where this is your business, right? Yeah. This is the whatever, 98% of the conversations that you have with your customers or with those two, you know, segments. If you can, you know, again, pattern match across those two and figure out what the heck people are saying to you, it's just so powerful. Th like those businesses will be in a position to take real insights and action over, you know, their competitors. For sure. And, and without it, it really is just anecdotal and gut and kind of like the last input you hear. Like you have a sales guy come back. He's like, Hey, I just got off this call and this happened. Then everyone rallies around. Oh my God, let's, let's solve that. But if you could actually go back and say, well, let me look at all the calls. Let me see how many times that came up. Let me see how many times that topic or that competitor came up or is pricing objection coming up on 99% of the calls. Maybe we should address that up front. Maybe we should do something else. Like those are real insights that, you know, frankly, lets you tweak your business much more quickly than your competitors. And, you know, we haven't even talked about the product side. And when you're talking about, you know, like lean methodology and all these things and iterating your product, you know, getting customer feedback directly from the customer in real time, like, you know, on Tuesday, this is what customers are saying. Like, that's the sort of stuff where how long does it take to get yeah. that much, you're like, well, last year they were saying this. Well, like if last year they were saying this, you run out of funding in six yeah, months, yeah. your business won't be around. And I think that that's the other piece of this is like, you know, this whole new customer feedback and experience generation of like this kind of awakening that's going on. It allows all of that comes from the conversations that you're having. If you're not listening to those conversations, like, how are you doing that? And again, it's kind of the town hall problem, right? The like loudest guy or gal sure. at the town hall is the one who's going to get their, you know, street paved. Well, that doesn't mean that that's the right decision for the town. Exactly right. And I think like particularly, you know, like previously before us having this, like our support reps are in Zendesk and they're supposed like we train them, hey, enter this, like add this label if it's a question about X, Y, or Z. But it's you're dependent on the reps actually doing that every time. You're exactly. dependent on a human being typing, doing the the extra or the right work to do it, which is great. We should train them and try to get them to. But if we can get that automated on every call without being dependent on whether or not, you know, the guy got it right or is doing it every single time. And I hate to say it, human nature, they don't do it every time. Like, oh, no. <laughs> no matter how much you train them. No, and, and the person who does is like, you know, a robot, you yeah, know, and they're yeah. not, they're your rock star, but it's like, that's the person who's, you know, hitting 3% of their quota every quarter yeah. so, or whatever <laughs> it is, or their, you know, their customer success goals. Like, like, yeah, uh, you can't, you can't build the ship out of the, you know, the one, the one person who's your superstar. It's just exactly. not realistic. You got to cater to, you know, the, uh, whatever it is, middle, middle common denominator. Um, Kind of final final piece here. You talked about the Talk IQ acquisition. Do you think being acquired a couple times allowed you to give some extra, you know, uh, white glove action in that acquisition? Um, yeah, you know what it 
What I had seen, having gone through it a couple of times, and before that I was primarily an M&A attorney in the mm-hmm. Valley, and I'd seen great acquisitions and I've seen terrible acquisitions. And Cisco Systems was one of our clients and so got to work on a ton of their deals. And they, they were like the gold standard of acquisitions. And really, like, it doesn't work if it's not a win-win. It doesn't work if both companies aren't totally aligned around it. And like what we saw at Yahoo is we got acquired and the, you know, there was no central strategy on it. It was like we walked into kind of like a, a bit of a territory battle. Um, and so the Talk IQ acquisition, it was a supernatural fit. They had what we needed, which was real-time telephony optimized artificial intelligence for business phone calls. And we had what they needed, which was a business phone system that could pump them millions and millions of minutes of data that they could then continue to get smarter on. And so it was one of those one plus one equal three that, hey, we happen to know their CEO. We happen to know a lot of their investors. They happen to be in San Francisco and we happen to be in San Francisco. They happen to be built on Google Cloud Platform and we happen to be built on Google Cloud Platform. So it was a real easy thing. And there were, you know, geez, it's been a year and a half since the acquisition. And I think 90 plus percent of the employees are still here. Wow. So it's and that team has grown quite a bit. Our AI team's probably more than doubled since we acquired them. And it was one of those things where it really was important to us and it really was important to them. And we really kind of had a a shared vision of how this could change the world. And so it just was a really smooth one. But I think like for a deal to work out well, it does have to be a win-win. You can't have one side reaping all the benefits or not really caring about the other side. But also, you know, obviously you've, you've been around for a while, but the company, you know, you're not at this stage now where it's like you're acquiring a company every other week or anything like that. Right. So, I mean, like it was a huge investment and then you have to figure out a way to make this thing work. And I think, you know, a lot of like technology leaders are kind of like stuck with the business end of the acquisition sometimes. Yeah. We had Alvina Antar who who was doing M&A at Dell before she was CIO of Zora. And like she was talking, she's like, I saw so many bad M&A things that by the time I got to Zora and I was like acquiring companies, and I'm like, we are going to do this the right way because yeah. that's the only way sort of a thing. Yeah. And I think the there's two things. You, you have cultural alignment and then you have technical alignment. Mm-hmm. And if our engineers aren't happy with their engineering, it's never going to work, right? Like no one wants to take on someone else's challenges or problems. Um, and so the good news in our part, we had been working with them on just a partnership for a couple months and we were having weekly standups and we'd have like, our engineering team work really closely with their engineering team. So there was a lot of mutual respect developed across that time that they trusted each other and thought both were good. And so that made it really easy. And on the cultural side, it was, it was a supernatural fit because, you know, we knew the guys from Google. Um, but I think there's a lot of M&A that goes horribly wrong because you don't have that type of alignment or, you know, like some someone has like the political juice to get the deal done. And then it's like, now make it work. And, yeah. and man, that's that's got to be tough. OK, so as I mentioned, I've been using Uber Conference for a long time and I 
chose the uh, Rickroll uh, hold music, although the other hold music, which has become legendarily famous at this point, I want to know, so who came up with the idea, how they came to you, what was your thought on this whole thing? Yeah, that's a, so a great story, Meyer. We had my co-founding team was John Rector from Google, Brian Peterson from Google, both engineer leads on the on the tech side. And then we had um, a creative guy, Alex Cornell. And Alex Cornell, he was a part-time musician. He's got a YouTube channel with like hundreds of thousands of followers. Oh, no kidding. You wow. know, he's amazing. He's like, sounds like John Mayer. He's, he's super talented, super artistic. And he was kind of like the cultural, you know, like, expression of what what uber conference was so he he came in like monday morning one day and he's like hey i wrote some hold music over the weekend is it okay is it okay (laughs) if we put it in uber conference and he plays it for me and it's this great song about a guy being on hold wondering if if the call's gonna start and and it's it's great music but it's funny as well and like a lot of times people don't realize it's actually a song about being on hold until you've heard it a couple times and anyhow um so I'm like, yeah, of, of course, let's put it in, see how it goes. So we put it in and it just became the default. Everyone got it. And Twitter started like you could go on Twitter right now and yeah. do a search for Uber Conference Hold Music. And you'll see like 15 tweets in the last couple of days. And everyone like 99.9% of the people love it. And one of the funny things was um, I got this call from Mark Anderson, who's on our board yeah. and, and led our Series B. And, um, and he's like, hey. I love Uber conference, but this hold music drives me insane. I want to throw this. I want to throw the phone out the window. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, but like, just go on Twitter and do a search for Uber conference hold music. And it was say like, it's so positive um, that, you know, you never complained again. And it really has been like really one of the interesting things, because when you think again, this is kind of our whole philosophy that just because you're at work doesn't mean you're the soulless, yeah. no fun person. Like you're still the individual you are on the weekend when you're at work, right? So why does communications have to be dull and boring and painful and and not delightful? And then we added other things of, you know, let you choose your own music, let you upload your own songs. And then we give you a give you a Rick roll as a, as a default as well. So did you have to pay for licensing for that? Like, was that like, we've worked something out. Oh, that's <laughs> so great. If, if, if Rick owns like a percentage of the company, I've, I, that needs to come out at some point and I will die. That is the funniest thing. Um, I love it. I totally agree. We had Keith, uh, your CMO on, uh, on marketing trends. Uh, he is awesome. So shout out to Keith, but just like, the tongue-in-cheek relationship that you all have, you have some extremely funny ads, you have funny videos, like it just has a personality to your yeah. company and it and you can feel it in talking to the employees, um, it's in the product, and you can see that like the threads that you kind of picked up throughout your career of like, hey, we can just add some a little bit of customization mm-hmm. and a little bit of differentiation goes a long way. Yeah. Right. Like people are people. They want to be individuals. And it just it, there's it's like those little things that I think just have a huge impact over time. They totally do. And in, in again, 
just because you go to work doesn't mean you've you've changed into a robot, right? Yeah. And like we did the same thing at Google Voice and we let you do text messaging from the computer, right? And so like as you're typing out a text, we'd give you a count of how many characters were left in a 140 character count. And you could go one like one, two, three times. And after three times, if you've like, if you're into the fourth set of 140, we stopped counting and we just said, really? With a question mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and like people loved it. It was just, and it's like, who says you have to play by the rules? Like you don't like this is, you know, we're, we're making some of this stuff up as we go along. And, and a lot of that stuff people really love. So, yeah, so love yeah, that. it is part of the culture to, to, to enjoy yourself and like work on things that you think are cool and fun. And, and, you know, frankly, business communications deserves to be improved. Like yeah. we've been saddled with that desk phone with 75 buttons and a bunch of red blinking lights for so long that everything should be delightful. And we're going to do our best to make it that way. All right. Let's get into lighting round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like the Lightning platform from Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn more about building on Salesforce fast and easy style. Just like these questions. Are you ready? Bring it. Number one, what app on your phone is the most fun? Um, <laughs> uh, this is embarrassing, but it's Ticket to Ride. Oh, a little TTR <laughs> yeah. action. Have you ever played, uh, they have a like Scandinavian version? Yeah. No, I've only done US. I'm a US guy. Try this, try Scandinavia because there's one, like one, uh, one link. If you, you like you have don't to, yeah, it, if you screwed. don't, yeah. And they have like a nine car train anyways. TTR is nice. great. That's great. I, I don't, I haven't downloaded it. I, I should check that out. Um, is there a book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently that you particularly enjoyed? I uh, love revisionist history. Yeah, so good. Um, favorite vacation spot? Um, you know, just took the family on a cruise to Alaska, 4,000 people on a 17-story boat, and it was amazing. I would have thought it was horrible. Going into it, I was dreading it. We had the best time. What is your best advice for a first-time CEO? Trust your gut. What piece of technology are you most excited about going forward? Um, shockingly, artificial intelligence on phone calls. What do you do for fun? Um, play tennis. Tennis? Yeah. You're a tall guy. Yeah, tall. Played in high school. You can get a workout, get outside, get competitive, get some aggression out. Last question. What question do you never get asked as CEO that you wish you were asked more often? Ooh. Um, uh how are you feeling? How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling great. Now, it's funny that, that you know, like we're now nine years into a startup or <clears throat> kind of hard to call it a startup now, yeah. over 400 employees and stuff. But the one thing is, is CEO, like I was talking to one of my board members the other day. I'm like, hey, John, am I doing a good job? Like, you know, like <laughs> it's been nine years. Like I don't get performance reviews. I'm curious. Like how's how are you thinking things are going? And that's one thing that like, Oddly, you don't get a lot of feedback on. Yeah, we need some uh, hit us up in the DMs. <laughs> if yeah. you think Chris doing a bad job, yeah, give me some feedback. Um, this is awesome. Anything to plug? Any uh, final stuff? You no, hiring? Um, yeah, we're definitely hiring. Um, got offices in Vancouver, in Waterloo, in Austin, in Raleigh, in New York City, in San Ramon, in San Francisco. Just put a couple folks in London, got open an office in Bangalore, wow. and we got an office in Tokyo. So if you're in any of those locations and want to join the mission, let us know. 
Awesome. But not to be confused with the mission who makes the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we could, we'll saddle up. We'll get some office space there, too. Um, Craig, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.